Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Back and better than ever. If my friend Michael Greenberg was here from... ESPN's Get Up. That's exactly what he would say about Dr. Wendy Beats from the University of Miami. Here's truly Jason Jackson for the Miami Heat getting back together for the most inconsequential podcast there is, but informative and entertaining nonetheless. I, Wendy, I don't know about you, but like it, it, when Ethan Skolnick, head of the Five Reasons Network, went on Twitter and begged us to come out of our self-imposed hiatus, by the way, uh, I'm like, Ethan, what is wrong with you? There's so much more important things going on in the world, but I'm glad we're back together. That's when you know things are bad, when they're begging for the mob squad, right? <laughs> Minding our business, back in business. And listen, the one thing that I know uh, about sport is that it, it serves a, a grand purpose. Uh, it, as Pat Riley would say, it, it is truly the toy department of human affairs. But in our days of trying to get through this extremely irregular, uh, for many people, trying and difficult time, uh, sport, even in its absence, can still serve as the proper diversion to keep us sane. I truly believe that. 100%. I mean, people are... People are having a tough time not watching sports right now. It's amazing how impactful it is in, in people's lives. Dr. Wendy Deese, the foremost authority on sports marketing and sponsorships. Yours truly, Jason Jackson, foremost authority on carnival barking. Together, back, and ready to go. You ready for our first topic? I'm ready. I missed the high five, though, man. I'm not going to lie. This is, this is we'll, different. We'll have our virtual high five when we get to our fifth topic, but here we go. First topic, give me some of that money. The International Olympic Committee, regularly tone deaf and slow to the punch, uh, found their way to the right space as not even the Summer Olympics can withstand the force of the coronavirus. And now the Tokyo Games, which would have had 11,000 athletes from more than 200 countries, and I'll, get, I'll let you go to the costs, um, but it will not happen this July. It will now be pushed into 2021 on dates that will be determined. Uh, needless to say, Dr. Dees, this was the right decision. Uh, run down, if you will, for the next few minutes, the ramifications. It was absolutely the right decision. It took a little longer, I think, than most people thought. Uh, but when you have $28 billion on the line for the Olympic Games, and that, that might actually be a conservative number, uh, that's what Japan is uh, reporting that they've spent already. But we always know that the Olympics, the final number is much bigger than that. But when you have $28 billion plus billion on the line making a decision like that, 
uh, to cancel or postpone is not easy in any way, but it was absolutely the right decision as countries like Canada and Brazil, and I believe Australia were already pressuring the Olympics to postpone, saying they weren't going to come and represent and bring athletes. Athletes themselves were asking for a postponement. It, it needed to happen, uh, not just, you know, obviously because of the, the health situation, but a lot of these athletes hadn't even qualified, Jax. I, I want to say 43%, 42 or 43% of the athletes had not even gone to the competitions that they needed to go to yet to qualify. And so there were just so many moving parts here. It had to happen. Only World War One. And World War II have forced the Olympics to be canceled. So you think about the impact of this microscopic virus. It's unbelievable. Um, so the Olympics from 1916, 1940, 1944, and now 2020 off the map. Unlike those other things, we're at least in hope, Wendy, that we have uh, an opportunity to host these games in Tokyo in 2021. Yes, it looks a lot better for 2021 than it did, Jax, when they were even considering just pushing things back to October or November. All the health experts are talking about one, two, or three waves of this virus, even when we get the numbers down initially. So I think there was a lot of discussion about a fall Olympics, a postponement. But I believe in the last couple of weeks behind closed doors, they were probably looking at these numbers, listening to the health experts' predictions, and realizing they couldn't risk putting a lot of time, effort, and resources into a three-month postponement and then having all of this happen again. So there's so much money and there are so many moving parts to this, but it really looks like summer of 2021 to have the Tokyo 2020 Olympics was really the best decision. And it was a decision that I know the IOC had mentioned was going to take them about a month. Thank God it took them two days. I mean, I, I don't understand what would be the hesitation outside of the money. So let's just blame it on the money. Uh, but I'd imagine the athletes would require, would want, would demand that the pause button be hit. Absolutely. I believe it was uh, last night that Katie Ledecky was on CNN discussing this very issue. And I believe she's not in the 43% of athletes that <laughs> haven't qualified. Even the athletes who knew they were going to the Olympics already were freaking out because she was talking about pools being closed, facilities not being available to train. Now you're talking about the premier athletes in the world. I mean, this is a, a five-time medalist already in the Olympics and swimming. And she's talking about training in her apartment and not being able to get in a pool. And so even athletes that were qualified for the Olympics were not wanting these games to happen because they felt like they weren't going to be ready. So there were a lot of different factors. It was money. It was athletes not being qualified and their competitions being canceled. Athletes being qualified and not being able to train. And then, you know, Jax, you and I talked about uh, an article I saw a, a week or so ago about the the testing situation that when these athletes can't be tested for doping, which is a very 
typical process in the Olympics when they can't be around other people, that if the testing can't be done to make sure the Olympics are clean, then the games could have been, you know, fraught with, with doping issues and, and just other different problems and, and issues and challenges. So it was, it was absolutely the right thing to, for the IOC to do. One final thing for you before we move on to uh, NCAA ramifications. Uh, what does this do on the other side of the schedule? Um, really easy to say, hey, let's move the Olympics one year. But there are other things on the other side that are in place, right? I mean, we're talking about world championships and whatnot that are already in place in 2021 that are going to have to adapt, I assume, uh, to a new schedule. Scheduling across the board, not just with the Olympics, but with every single sport is going to be an absolute nightmare over the next year. And you have to throw the thought out the window like we normally have with sports that this one shouldn't overlap the other one or these two sports don't normally go on at the same time. I think that's just off the table for at least another year because the way we normally watch sports and when they typically occur and the overlap in playoff games or what have you, that's just not that's just not going to happen. We're just going to have sports overlap with one another and the television scheduling is going to be a nightmare. It's going to take a long time to work all of this out. There will be a content avalanche. There will be financial implications. Uh, we all want to get to the other side of this virus pandemic, uh, but there will be some serious work for these sports organizations to do, which leads us to our next topic. Next headline, we turn our attention to the NCAA. I know all the athletic directors have been huddling. Uh, I know all the conferences are trying to figure out exactly what they want to do uh, in extending players who lost their final year uh, because they play a spring sport and all those sports were canceled. Uh, but I want to turn to the money, and particularly the big money, Dr. Deves, as the NCAA annually uh, makes around a billion dollars on the tournament that they had to cancel. Uh, what is the real impact? What is the long-term ability to try to recoup? Where is CBS and Turner? I'll stop asking you questions so you can give me some answers. <laughs> yeah, this Jax, I think is one of the leagues that's going to be hit the hardest. I know we don't normally talk about the NCAA as a league, but it certainly is when you think about it from the perspective of the NCAA and the funding that they provide to member schools. So like you said, the NCAA makes about a billion dollars annually off their NCAA March Madness contract for the men's tournament. And what people don't realize is that that money really subsidizes all three different divisions of the NCAA. And when that money doesn't come in from the tournament, which is unprecedented, but this year it's not coming in, then there's going to be a trickle-down effect to all the NCAA member institutions that typically get a payout that goes toward building their budget for the next year. And so put that into perspective for everyone, the NCAA was planning on giving a $600 million payout uh, to the member schools this year, and it was just voted on by the NCAA that this year that would only be $225 million. 
So that's like a 62, 63% decline there and how much money will be filtered down to the member schools. So to put this in perspective, not only are the schools gonna be seeing about you know, 60% less money coming from the league office, but then if the pandemic goes on throughout the summer, like we're told it might, we're gonna get dangerously close to this affecting football season, which is the second biggest revenue generator for NCAA athletic departments. And if they don't have NCAA support money and college football money starts to look bleak, things could look extremely different for NCAA athletic departments in the next year. And by different, I mean very bad. Let's dive into that a little bit. I mean, we're talking about a substantial cut. And I know these athletic departments don't count their chickens before they're hatched, but they don't anticipate a massive pay cut like this. Where, where would some of that trimming, do you think, start to begin? It's directly going to impact their you know, student-athlete resources. So all the money that goes into helping student-athletes on and off the field, you know, whether that's with training, travel, um, with academic and life skills uh, resources, the NCAA spends a lot of money on helping athletes in, in all three phases. So athletic directors and athletic departments spend this money on services for athletes in all three phases of their development, academics, athletics, life. And so we could see cuts in everything from training, travel, academic services, life services. So it could be really disappointing for athletes because the programming and the types of uh, things that they see on an annual basis might not have the, the resources to be supported. So we could see cuts in a lot of areas and it's gonna trickle down and it's going to affect the student athletes. So there is the idea, and I assume the business practice, that some of this is protected. Um, let's talk about the biggest chunk of money and that's the TV money. I love my business for being so impactful. Uh, CBS and Turner pays about 800 You're million. You're the big dog for sure. Per, yeah, 800 million coming from uh, CBS and Turner in this relationship with the NCAA. I know for sure that these TV contracts have uh, loops and wiggles uh, for those right fees. And those right fees uh, are, are something that, as you noted, floats the boat. Uh, does the NCAA have some protection in this space? Well, the NCAA has an insurance policy that should pay them out 250 to 275 million dollars in a situation like this um, under what's legally called force majeure, an act of God that cancels the event such that neither party is breaching the contract. Mm -hmm. But you know, with any insurance policy, it doesn't matter if it's on your home or car or if it's for the NCAA trying to make up March Madness, it's not something that's going to be a payout immediately. And the insurance companies can obviously fight some of this. So it's not like there's $275 million coming in a check next week to help these athletic departments 
you know, build their budgets over the summer. So the NCAA will absolutely pursue that insurance policy payout. But again, we're talking about, you know, they normally shift 600 million out of like 875 million or whatever that comes out of their annual television contract with March Madness, 600 million of that normally goes down to their member institutions. And even if they get $275 million back, which isn't guaranteed, there's just still this big deficit that's going to hurt the NCAA all through next year. And you can bet athletic directors all over the country are having meetings this summer talking about where they're going to have to make cuts. A mind in our business focus in future podcasts for sure. Let's turn our attention to our third topic. Wendy, I have read and experienced through the Miami Heat many teams making sure there was a pool of money for arena and ballpark workers around the nation due to the suspension of play. But if I'm not mistaken, Major League Baseball, the first league uh, to come together for uh, its teams and pledging $30 million for ballpark workers who will lose income because of the delay of the season caused by the coronavirus. We know that uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred made the decision uh, to push back opening day to mid-May. As we tape this, I'm wearing my Cincinnati Reds uh, clothing that I'd be wearing uh, watching games. I watch about 100 Cincinnati Reds games from uh, my palatial estate. You're uh, a good man. Listen, listen. It's about the game. I'm not, you know, wins and losses, they come and go. But I love the game of baseball. But, um, man, oh, man, a after hearing from all 30 clubs and, and working through it over about two days, how in the world did uh, this $30 million come together? Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. It's had to be a collaborative effort uh, among all the teams to make this uh, a Major League Baseball uh, front-facing dynamic. Well, as we all know, Seattle was one of the first cities hit really hard by the pandemic, even before New York. And so I believe the Mariners were really the first club to begin pushing for this because I think they knew right away that they weren't going to be playing baseball and all of their stadium workers were going to be hit extremely hard by all of this. So one club at a time kind of came through. I believe Seattle was first and uh, maybe the Tampa Bay 
uh, Rays were, were second. It, it doesn't matter. They're slowly, all of the teams started to realize what this was going to do to their support staff. And in conjunction and, and with leadership of the, the front office, MLB, they all decided to contribute a million dollars per club. Some clubs are contributing more. I believe the Mariners are one of those organizations uh, giving even a little bit more. Um, but, you know, the the ballpark employees are, are paid by the game and they're not going to have that income for who knows how long. And it's just a really great gesture for them to, to step up and do this. And I think at the, at the end of all this, you're going to see a lot of these clubs, their valuations are, are going to go up depending on how well they treat their employees throughout this time, because that's what we've seen in the past at the, the sport organizations, the sport franchises who do best by their employees in times like this end up coming out on the other side with stronger business valuations and and they're just overall more valuable to their fans and to their community depending on how they they treat people in the hardest of times it's a wonderful point you make that i thought uh, i heard a former labor secretary talk about earlier in the week what you don't want as any business is getting to the point where your labor force had to run to different industry and have the difficulty of trying to get your folks back when it's time to get up and going. Uh, that will drag the economic uh, slowdown even further uh, as, as organizations, not just sport, but any industry, would have to go back and, and try to drag these folks uh, or try to find folks that have been laid off or, or have moved on to, to, to other gigs just simply to, to keep the income coming in, as my pops used to say. Um, so it's uh, extremely brilliant, um, the right thing to do, just simply. And I think that it's very difficult uh, for the everyday fan to realize, even to themselves when they go to the games, how important those game day individuals are to their experience. I think people do know, Jax. Um, you know, the, the article that I was reading in USA Today Sports even mentioned the fact that these ballpark workers they're they're familiar faces to fans who go to all these games you know the NBA is a long season Major League Baseball is a long season and people who are diehards that go to these games and they frequent the same concession stand they see the same uh, you know person welcoming them to their seat or in their suite these are people that become like family. You know who they are. You see them so many days or evenings out of your life and you know their name and talk to them about their kids. And then fans, sport fans are, are really unique, wonderful people that when their game shut down, they're thinking about that person that they see multiple times a week at the game at their seat. And they wonder how that person's doing and how they're gonna support their family if the games don't go on. And it, it's not just the leagues that are thinking about these support staff. Fans absolutely think about these folks and are worried about them as well. Speaking of worry, that leads us to our fourth topic and our attention turns to the National Basketball Association. Dr. D, you brought up a phrase that pays or the phrase that allows you not to pay, and that's force majeure. Uh, back during 
or I should say right after uh, September 11, 2001, many sports leagues, NHL, NBA, probably MLB, NFL, I don't have those contracts in front of me, uh, put in that particular, I assume that's Latin, <laughs> that Latin clause. <laughs> we it, sound so fancy talking about this, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it feels French coming out my mouth, but I feel like everything in contract legalese is Latin-based, as is what basically every language. So with that being said, uh, explain to our listeners exactly uh, what could happen with these player contracts now. Uh, we'll use the NBA as our focus uh, because they're in discussions right now, the NBA, whose top executives have taken a 20% pay cut now in negotiations with the Players Association uh, about the reality of what they can do uh, as it's spelled out in the collective bargaining agreement with the players in the NBA. I think it's important to say first off before we give some of these numbers, which are shocking, that the NBA and, and other leagues that have this in their contracts, they haven't announced they're going to cut anyone's pay yet. So the leagues are going to do everything they can not to not to enforce, you know, a force majeure type of situation. So to my knowledge, this hasn't happened yet, but is in the contract and, and it could happen. But the NBA has the ability um, to have each player on their roster forfeit a little over 1% of his season pay per game that's canceled. So whatever your season-long uh, salary is, you take 1% of that. And then every single game that's not played, that can be deducted. And so, uh, you know, Bloomberg put out an article about how this, you know, may or may not work depending on if the NBA enforces it. And of course, they're going to use LeBron James's his salary because then you see the the impact of this and how hard it could be right away. So, LeBron James's salary is about thirty four or thirty seven point four million. Uh, if you withhold the 1.08% or whatever that number is in the contract, that's about $404,000 per canceled game. Ooh. And you know the numbers here, Jax, but I believe you guys had, what, 20, 21%? We had about 18. We had about 18 games left, so do that math, yeah. Yeah, so take 404,000 times 18, and that's Nine million. What, yeah, that's what LeBron stands to lose, and then and then every other player as well. Yeah, no, that's 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 real talk right there. Wow. So the key, and what I think we're going to start to hear probably eventually, is okay. We didn't make the decision not to play, so I'm gonna I'm gonna argue the other side, right? And so then it starts pushing toward, uh, let's play all these games. If I'm negotiating for the union. And we just play these games uh, without fans in the arena. Like that's coming, well, that conversation is coming back and it'll come back quickly if, if this starts to be a reality. A very important discussion going on in all front offices right now in sports is the difference between cancellation and postponement. A lot of the contracts, and I'm not just talking about contracts between players and leagues this is even ticket contracts between fans and teams that they've bought you know tickets to go see games 
there's a very big difference between a canceled game and a postponed game. I know it feels like everything is canceled right now, but leagues are purposely using the phrase postponement because they're planning on having these games at a later time. And a lot of these contracts and these numbers are based on cancellations. And if the leagues do not label these games as canceled, then these contracts are still in place because the games are just postponed. So for example, there was an estimate out this past week that there's over a billion dollars in capital tied up in fans having purchased sports tickets and they're not issuing refunds right now because the games are not canceled. And when you buy a ticket to go watch a team play, it's in your contract when you've purchased this, this product that as long as the game is just being postponed and it'll be played at a later time, you don't get a refund. And these games have not been labeled as being canceled. So not only are, are players at risk of losing money, but right now fans who purchase season tickets, they're not getting refunds, which for a week or two may be okay, but given what's going on with the economy, that's going to become a huge issue on the ticketing side going forward where people start to say, yo, I don't have a job. I need this season ticket money back because we don't know when these games are going to be played and I'm not going to be able to, to go without this money. So it's, it's not just hurting leagues. It's hurting players. It's hurting fans, stadium workers. This is going all the way down the line, Jax. Last point in this, and we don't have to dive too deep, but particularly in the NBA and, and so many different collective bargaining agreements for players throughout professional sports, your, your salary cap for the leagues that have them are tied into revenue. And obviously revenue is going to take a hit. And so the calculations for the cap for the 2021 season for the majority of these leagues, including the NBA, is going to take a downturn. I, I got to be right about that, right? It is. It's absolutely going to take a downturn. You're right, because – the revenue is going to be substantially less. And right now we're just out 20% of the regular season. But when you start factoring in the money that leagues make off of playoff tickets, um, that's where the bread and butter is. The money really goes up during the playoffs. And if the season gets canceled and you don't have playoffs, then revenue is really going to decline. And then, like you said, you're, you're going to see that, um, you know, affect the cap. It's time to head to our fifth topic. We like to call it the high five. And this is when we high five. I'll do it for us, Wendy. I got it. Yeah, there it nice. is. Got it handled. And we turn to the National Hockey League. As we've heard with the NBA and now with the NHL, uh, they plan to temporarily cut pay in the league office. The number was 20% for the highest uh, paid executives at the NBA, but the NHL going a little bit differently. Uh, the NHL is temporarily cutting the pay of league office employees by 25%. Uh, it looks like starting April 1st, Dr. Deeds. Yes, yeah, starting April 1st, they announced they're going to uh, make those cuts across the board at 25%. Um, I think it's a smart decision that rather than having to lay off people and just get rid of employees entirely, um, that doing this 25% pay cut, and then like you said, 20% in the upper echelon is going to give the league a little bit of breathing room 
and see how long the pandemic is, is going to go on and when we might get back to having games. But the leagues are all looking for a way to hold on to these people and do right by them and not have to lay people off. But they're having to make these really difficult decisions. And uh, there were three and a half weeks left, I believe, in the NHL. 189 games remaining in the regular season when play was suspended. So there was a lot of the NHL season that was cut out. And so I think these folks are, are probably sitting there you know, very happy that they still have their job because you have to believe some front office employees are wondering the longer this goes on, if they're even going to have a job. Yeah. So I know if it, if it were me to hear that I'm taking a pay cut and maybe it might only be a couple of months, but then I go back to having a job when this is all over is better than getting that email or that phone call that they're not going to be able to employ you anymore. I'm with you. I just think that that's a six month decision. That's not a, a two week decision. I, I think that it's, it just creates a lot of concern and panic. Uh, and, and I'm, always wary of what you're really trying to preserve if after two weeks of a business even uh and i know the nhl is you know riding fourth and fifth hat sometimes uh but th this is a professional sports organization and it should be able to withstand this longer now if this is a gesture of at least extending the right fiscal responsibility that you're noting and being a leader in that space for other teams down the road and for the players down the road, uh, I'm with that. But I've been through a few work stoppages in the NBA. And anything that impacted a team was real. It was real not to have games. But after a couple weeks, eh, I'm not a I'm, – I'm, I, got I, got, I got that stank eye on it. I'm, I'm going to put, put the eye on it. And leave it there. Commissioner Bettman, though, did make a note that they're doing everything they can to make sure these things don't impact things down the road. What do you think he's worried about from a compromise standpoint on the 2021 season? Well, I think like we talked about before, the longer this goes on and the more seasons start to overlap, I think we have to start talking about shortened seasons. I mean, what what are the odds that you don't even play all of these games whenever we start back? Right. And so if leagues don't even finish these seasons, because we've been the first couple of weeks we've been talking about, Oh, when things start back up and we finish the season or when is the season going to start back up? But I don't think there's any guarantee at this point that leagues play an entire season's worth of games. And then every game that is not played, those owners are looking at, dramatically less revenue and then this doesn't just affect this season like you said this the longer it goes on it can affect seasons after that and just the overall viability of the organization and so I think that's what owners are looking at. Dr. Deese that is our high five thank you for your insight and expertise for driving our content and uh, and providing uh, what many young people have to pay tens of thousands of dollars for to hear from you so i appreciate it i appreciate it fully well it was great to be back i know we couldn't be in the same room it, it's not quite the same but um always always good to uh to talk money and, and sports business with you jacks
Uh, do we want to make a pledge online or shall we do that offline on, on when we will return next? <laughs> I, I don't know. You're <laughs> you're the one with the I'm I'm teaching online for the foreseeable future. So I think this depends on uh, when the a, NBA gets back to uh, hardwood. Well, listen, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it weekly. How about that? We'll make a weekly pledge to discuss if we'll quink out some new content uh, for our but for our buddy Ethan. Yeah, and we can't um, even we can't even make that pledge on the golf course anymore. So no, all all no, bets no. are off. Goodness gracious! Well, in the meantime, as we let everybody know, for Doctor Deeds, I'm Jason Jackson. Always mind your business. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.